So what are we talking about today, Maxine? We are talking about trash books today. What do you think is trash? What we think is actually good, but people think is trash. What people define as trash. All sorts of just great trashy books, you know? Mm-hmm. Welcome to the Shakespeare Who podcast, hosted by Maxine Sibiwana and Jill damatak Fetter. We talk about making our own canon through books we read and words we write alongside special guests. I feel like we all have our guilty pleasures. This is our guilty pleasure episode. This is what this is. <laughs> yes, exactly. I love that. And here to talk with us about trash and guilty pleasures is Sarah Kokia of Bookish and Black. I had the amazing luck of meeting Sarah through Instagram a little while ago. If you don't already follow her at Bookish and Black on Instagram, Sarah's feed is filled with fantastic book recommendations. Uh, But I don't come to her feed just for that. I also come to Sarah's feed for her opinions on the books she reads and the way she contextualizes what she reads through her life and the world around us and what's happening around us, which has been so important in the trash fire that is 2020. And Maxine and I are very happy to have you here with us today. And welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much. That introduction was, I don't know if I can live up to it, but thank you so much. I'm really excited to be recording with you both today. You're more than living up to it. And we've got to tell everyone about your Patreon later on. Okay, so what is trash? How do we feel about trash? How do you define trash, Sarah? I was thinking about this a lot. um, And I think that I have two levels of trash. Um, So I would say that there are books or like literature um, content that I really think is true trash that I don't think is worth reading it. Like I think it belongs in the garbage. I would not recommend it to anybody. Um, But it's like stuff that might be popular in the canon. I won't go into specifics now because we're going to talk more later. And then there are books that I think are labeled as trash. And it's stuff that maybe um, I think women's fiction and light reads get labeled as trash a lot. And it's stuff that you might not want to talk about reading. But I don't think that there's really anything wrong with it. It's just not as highbrow as other books. I really like that kind of two levels of trash. That's actually a really good way of putting it. And I've actually never really thought of it that way. 2020 just being such a hot mess. Like everything we encounter in our day-to-day life is like right out of a literary dystopian novel. So it feels really good to just read something that doesn't require that much thought or analysis, doesn't have any symbolism. It's just chopping through plot. And you feel like for the four hours that you're taking to read this crappy book, like things are happening and you don't have to worry about any of it. And it's kind of like, I think since since lockdown began this year, I've also just been eating really terribly. So I've been eating terribly and I've been reading terribly and it's what I need right now. Um, So it's not even just a guilty pleasure anymore. It's become like a necessity just to kind of get through each day. But yeah, I'd love to know what you've been up to, Maxine. Have you been reading a lot of trash books at all? Yes. (laughs) Through work, um, again, as context for Sarah, I work at HarperCollins Publishers. And through work, we have a romance novel app, which I had the great duty of testing, which was so much fun. And I was like, oh yeah, we have this app. Let me go back to it and see what we've got going on there. And all the Mills and Boone titles from like 
before 2020 are on the app and some of them are really really terrible I remember there's one I read which was something like the last virgin or something really stupid like that and it's this woman who like she was about to get killed and then this man stops her from getting killed she was like about to be in like the Salem witch trials or something silly like that and he stops her from getting killed and he's like you can only survive if you follow me as my sex slave and she was like yes and she goes along with it and she was like I don't want to give in to the sexual desires that I have for what his name uh, Guillermo or something and then in the end they do end up having sex and then he was like why didn't you tell me that you were a virgin and she was like I thought you knew and then they fall in love and everything is fine in the end because slavery is fun when it's sexy apparently so that's the kind of trash that I've been reading on my week off but in general I've been trying to read like I guess good trash or the more commercial side of things because I tend to be a more literary reader, but sometimes it's quite boring. Um, so I've been reading Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, and it's so good. And it makes me sad that like people would consider that to be more trashy than, you know, I don't know, The Virgin Suicides or Memoirs of a Geisha, just because it's not like the big, great literary novel. It's just a, like a quick, you know, read, and it's a bestseller which is a bit sad, but that's the kind of trash that I've been doing on my on my week off. I don't know if you guys have been reading anything trashy this week. First of all, I just want to jump in and say, how do I get access to that app? Very important. <laughs> <laughs> I think six months ago, I never would have admitted to anybody that I read romance. But now I'm just like, whatever, who cares? And I just, yeah, I think that I read so much trash. I think this month, especially because I've been um, very tired and stressed. I've only read um, maybe three books, and two of them were probably I and probably I would I guess they would fall under that umbrella. But then I think a lot of contemporary romance they do a much better job with putting in contemporary issues, um, and so I think that that is like so much better. But I think that there is that division of if you don't read. Um, classic literature than you than everything else is trashed I think that it's a it's finding a I, for me it's always been finding that just middle you know when you ask people what their favorite tv shows are and they're like oh yeah my favorite show is I don't know Mad Men or that's actually <laughs> my favorite show <laughs> but you know when people tell you that they're like their favorite show is something like really you know Emmy award-winning and then you know sometimes I just want to watch like old episodes of Sweet Valley High and I don't want to be judged for that just because I don't yes. want just because I don't want to watch something really serious. I want to watch Sweet Valley. I want to watch Beverly Hills 90210. It's nice to switch off my my brain and watch these good-looking people do dumb things. It's really fun. I've found recently that there are certain books that I've personally labeled as trash that have actually turned out to not be trash. And again, we can talk about exactly which books those are but I think my very first intro to trash was like my grandma's stash of romance novels which I like snuck in reading between like my granddad's required kind of Shakespeare plays that he made me read and like you know he made me read uh, To Kill a Mockingbird when I was like eight Going into Danielle Steele territory was like a really good guilty pleasure for me growing up. I think I read like three trash books last week. Now I'm like 
trying to get into something a little more literary. And I'm like, I kind of miss the cheesy plot line of what I was just reading. But I'd love to know from each of you guys, what was the first trash book you ever read? And were you even aware that it was trash? Or did you just enjoy it? So like the first, you know, supposedly trash book I ever read was something titled Spring Collection by Judith Krantz. And it was sitting on my grandma's nightstand. And I'm like, what is this? And I remember reading it and there was a lot of sex in it, both heterosex and lesbian sex, which, you know, when you're, I'd forget, maybe I was 10, maybe I was 11. I was like, oh, I didn't know that this kind of like love existed. That was actually a really nice intro for me into understanding that there's more than one way of of loving each other. And it wasn't taught to me by anything political. It wasn't taught to me by anything religious. It was just presented to me as is in this book. So yeah, I'd love to know about your first trash experiences. For me, it's really hard to even pinpoint one book. If I think I read a lot now, I read so much as a kid. I have four siblings, been the youngest by 10 years to give you context. So I grew up alone and just read a lot. I do remember probably sometime around middle school or high school getting a book that had, you know, as, as they're called, the bodice rippers and definitely being like, oh, I have to hide this one. I think from there on, I was eating up those paperback romances, like checking out like 10 at a time at the library along with along with everything else I was reading. But I, you know, read pretty fast. And so I was just, I think that it was not as good of an intro, I would say, Jill, as yours was. I think that it was more just like quesh, especially ones that were probably at that time written in the early 2000s, 90s. Probably a lot of talk about virginity, definitely a lot of heterosex, definitely um, nothing that I would, um, you know, be like, let me reread this today for content and to learn about, you know, relationships and sex. But I think that it was just something that was fun to read. I used to read a lot as a kid as well because my dad was like really, really big on reading. So every time we'd leave the house, he'd buy me a new book, but it would always be like, you know, like one of those classic African tales, like things fall apart and all sorts of things like that. That's amazing. I read that like <laughs> last year. I read Things Fall Apart when I was like 11. Wow. That's wild. <laughs> My dad was, he wanted us to be overachievers, but um, I'm very girly and I like like girly nonsensey things. So like I was like reading, you know, a conquo, you know, struggling with colonialism and it was, you know, intense. And then I was like, you know what? I really want to read the princess diaries. So I, that was my like intro into, I guess, trash books or like tween nonsense and I never felt guilty for reading them because I was like you know what my dad's making me read you know Mandela's biography right now so I feel like I'm entitled to reading <laughs> my princess diaries and like my uh all the Jacqueline Wilson books as well I feel like I'm showing my age I'm very young um uh all the Jacqueline Wilson books but like the one was um Dustbin Baby was a terrible like she had all these books about these girls who are just going through really really tough times um and then my favorite one was my sister Jody, where this girl was just like a really like troubled like older sister with piercings and tattoos and I was like yeah because I really wanted an older sister because I only have brothers so I felt like it was just nice to have like the escape because I felt like the whole African condition thing was like very intense for a young child to read so I wanted to read like my girly 
normal escapism things. So that was my introduction to trash. <laughs> so that makes me want to ask a question because I was actually going to ask this. So do we consider books like that? Um, because, you know, I obviously read those books too. I was having major flashbacks while you were talking. Do we consider there to be, I guess, you know, the same type of quote unquote trash for when you're you know, a kid and a teen, because I'm thinking about, like you mentioned, the Sweet Valley High TV show, but you know, there's the books, the Babysitter's Club, yes. the Princess Diary, like all of those types of things. Do we, because if, if that's the case, then I would say my intro to trash was like first grade. <laughs> yeah. You know what? You make such a good point because just thinking about it now, actually, my dad was pretty good about letting me read those things. Like uh, I read Sweet Valley High and Babysitter's Club, like starting from when I was like eight or nine. And I was still in the Philippines at the time. And my dad worked overseas as a, as a musician. And he would send me just like boxes full of these books every few months. And it was like the greatest thing. It was like the best gift. He'd send me that and Legos and I would just disappear into these books. But I think as I got older, a lot of my judgment of trash was self-imposed. Jill, you can't just keep reading these books. You know, I began to judge them myself. So this is real stuff. This is good stuff. The Time magazines and the literary novels and the, you know, of course, anything literary was written by like J.D. Salinger or, you know, Lord of the freaking Flies and anything else like Babysitter's Club or my beloved Judith Krantz was trash. And yes, it always fell along the lines of gender and then race as well. You know, you go to school and you get told this is what you're supposed to read. This is what you're going to read this summer that you're going to study in English class. And a lot of the books that were on those reading lists were nothing like The Babysitter's Club or um, Sweet Valley High or Danielle Steele or even Patricia Cornwell, whose mystery novels I absolutely loved or John Grisham or, you know, Stephen King is considered trash by in some sectors. Right. Um so yeah, a lot of that was self-imposed. And then I had to kind of teach myself to not feel bad about these books. But at the same time, I still didn't tell anybody about it. So yeah, it'd be good to know how you guys learned how to stop sharing these things and to kind of feel ashamed about them. I want to answer, but I also want to ask you two a question too, because Jill, you brought up something that I've been thinking about, which is the fact that a lot of the things that we consider to be trash in, in literature, in television, everything is just stuff that is really just geared at women and, or, or created by women. And if, you know, you, uh, Maxine mentioned Mad Men a little bit ago and, you know, things that are, things that are quote unquote heavier or have a male writer or creator or um, protagonist often are lauded as this is this is real quality work and things that are geared at women, which, you know, sometimes are lighter, sometimes are not, some tend to be looked at as, oh, this is like a guilty pleasure. This is trash. And I was just like, you know, and the fact and the whole fact that the genre women's fiction, chiclet even exist and they are off, they are automatically seen as lower brow. I, I feel like, I don't know, I was just wondering about that too. Like working in publishing, you get to see how even publishers feel about certain genres um, and genre fiction, and especially when it is chiclet 
which they've now tried to change into women's fiction to try and make it sound more um, less sexist adult I guess yes <laughs> but even then women's fiction is very strange to me because I find what do you mean by women's fiction is it just fiction written by women or is it just is it fiction written by women for women is it geared towards a certain way is it like is it like the classic kind of sex in the city is it that kind of thing where it's like her dating life because like even if it is you know less geared towards the grittiness of the world and is more geared towards you know someone's experiences on tinder for me like why is that less of like a story that people can actually come to grips with why is it like more frivolous because that is actually the the condi- like the human condition of many people in society right now. And so I find it very strange when they're like, mm, you know, mm, it's women's fiction at the end of the day. It's women's fiction. And the way that publishers also like look at the books, they also think that it's trash. So they market it in a way that makes it feel like it's some sort of like feel good, trashy, like summer read. Like it's not supposed to be something serious. It's not supposed to be taken seriously. It's not put into, um, and it's not put forward for any of like the big, awards and yet it could be and that's why I was really surprised when such a fun age was actually put on the Booker Prize list this year because I was like oh that's a little bit more Mm -hmm. commercial it was marketed in a very even though it's like a race related book it was like a girl's race related book it wasn't like you know some sort of big revelation about racism and wow it's so serious and you know when you when you see the even the covers the way they design the covers it's always very like this is a very commercial, you know, there's a lady on the book and we want the ladies and it's pink and all oh, the women will love pink. Whereas, you know, Akala's Natives, you know, or Derrica Wusu's um, Safe, like books about race by men, they're black and white or they're like serious dark people colors. And even the way that like this, the psychology behind how they market those books is also geared towards making it seem like it's lesser than. And I find that mm. problematic because it just means that for women who are writers or women who are consumers of work, they never feel like they're consuming like the big, amazing works. Like they feel like they have to pander to sort of like the Lord of the Flies of the world or the the George Orwells of the world. Like they never have, they never feel comfortable reading the books that they like, which I, I find, I find that like a lot of these big sort of literary men that we have to read are so boring and i feel like they're trash so boring right trash you make a really good point bringing in sort of the industry side of things and just the fact that and this is going to be a horse that i will beat repeatedly this is just a fun offshoot of the industrialization and the commodification of all of it of of people's stories of people's ideas and then categorizing it to make it easier for people to buy. And this I remember because my very first job uh, growing up in America was uh, as a bookseller at Barnes & Noble. And everything was categorized. And I remember like the the two years I worked there, there increasingly being more and more subcategories within categories because the idea behind it was, it was to be helpful. You wander into a bookstore, you don't know what you want to read. These categories help you. But the flip side of that is that it's also meant to sell more copies. It helps booksellers and the industry figure out which of those subcategories sell more. And then they then strategize their marketing towards that. And then going back to what Maxine said, where you know, men's books and what Sarah was saying, women's books get categorized in certain ways. 
I'm in the middle of writing something that's like thrillerish. So I've just finished rereading Gillian Flynn's Gone Girl, which I love. But that book got kind of got categorized as like chick litish kind of noir, like a darker thriller, but still for chicks. And then I read Brett Easton Ellis's American Psycho right after. And that book gets treated as some kind of like literary landmark. Like he gets compared to Dostoevsky in some of the old reviews, right? But to me, they're the same. They're the same thing. They both have, you know, psychopaths as protagonists, and they both do horrible things in the name of succeeding and because of they have some kind of grudge. Uh, but they get categorized very differently. And again, it's just all in the name of selling. It's really sad. I think that that is so true. And I think that the idea of the way books are categorized and marketed has fascinated me. And I think that it's actually created, um, it's caused me to um, sometimes when I read a book, rate it lower. And I think that's more because I went in thinking this book was something because it was marketed in a certain way. And it was something completely different. Like, you know, I remember I read Beach Read this summer, which, you know, if you look at the cover, as we were talking about, the cover shows two people on the beach. It looks like it's going to be just a romance about people. But it's completely, that's not what the book is about. This woman wrote this book about death. There's stuff about the opioid epidemic in it. There's all of this stuff in that book, but it's, it's, you know, billed and marketed as this chill beach read. And I, it's, it's, you know, and I think that I think, I think a lot about the book Queenie and if we're comparing books, I look, you know, J.D. Salinger. Mm-hmm. Why is that book being taught for years? Catcher in the Rye is so boring, but I think that, you know, it, what it does is it, we go into this Holden Caulfield's life, you get a look at this guy's life. And I think that Queenie does that for this black woman, but in a much more engaging and interesting way, but it's never going to get the attention and the reviews and be taught for decades in the way that J.D. Salinger's books are. I also find that the way that they market books by Black women is so telling about how they want certain things to be. So for Queenie, it is more of like the commercial, it it takes up more of the commercial space, but seeing as it's been getting all these um, awards and things like that, then people are now giving it more attention. But like the way that they, they, you know, they put like the, the Black girl on like a pink cover with like the braids. And then for Girl Woman Others, like paperback edition, they put the Black girl silhouette on like a big yellow cover with like the headscarf. And then for American Marriage, you have the Black girl and the Black guy in the silhouette with braids. Girl Woman Other is very, very different to Queenie. Queenie is more of like an easier read to Girl Woman Other because Girl Woman Other is just, it's so literarily like woven together but the way they market everything is to be like oh these are all books by black women so we're just going to put a silhouette of a black woman on the cover and so you know it's like basically black fiction or like I was in a cover meeting for a book by an Asian woman and they're talking about Crazy Rich Asians and Lauren Ho's book as well and when you look at all of the so many thoughts (laughs) <laughs> and when you look at all of the the different like covers, it's always like a silhouette of an Asian looking woman with quite light skin and, you know, like maybe glasses on. They all look the same. And so even if it's like something that takes up more of like a commercial or a literary space, you find that they're all just kind of like blanket marketed in one way. And so they're never going to be like taken as seriously as like a catcher in the rye or 
like something else I can't even think of, of Mice and Men or whatever, because those covers and those books are like marketed in like this very literary, serious gravitas. They put all the same kind of Asian looking people <laughs> on the covers and they're like, yeah, it's Asian literature. It's black literature in that they just paint everything in one really big kind of a racist brush and they're like well yeah here is it here it is like it's never going to be taught as something like serious because it's just a black woman on the cover and it's pink so like it's going to like alienate the, the male readership and you know it's got braids on it so it's going to alienate like the white readership so this is just a black book for black people and that's it which is so disappointing because i think that books like for example crazy rich asians maybe you can't read those um, for and dissect the writing and how well it's written, but you know it's not you can't teach it in an English class in the same way that you can teach some something like Girl, Woman, Other, but something like even Sex and Vanity and Queenie and um, you mentioned American Marriage. Those are the types of books that I think are tell something that's really important culturally that could get young students, teenagers really engaged because the writing is not bad. It's not bad writing and the cultural message is really important and it should be marketed as such because I think that it's marketed along the lot, like Crazy Rich Asians is talked about and Sex and Vanity as if they're like just trashy, trashy, trashy. But Kevin Kwan is telling a deep cultural story in there and people are losing it in the message because of the way it's marketed. Absolutely. And going back for just a second to An American Marriage, I remember listening to the New York Times Book Review podcast and they were interviewing Tayari Jones. And apparently she was discouraged from the title. Like she wanted to call it An American Marriage. And people, including like friends and family, were like, oh, are you sure you want to call it that? So even just from the title, uh, Tayari Jones was already being made to feel like she had to position her book to like a subaltern audience instead of just being marketed to all Americans. This is an American marriage. And yeah, going back to Crazy Rich Asians, I loved that entire trilogy. I just finished reading Sex and Vanity. And to me, these feel like the sorts of books, just like what you said, Sarah, that will be read in the future and will be read as a snapshot of the world that we are living in now. So I think one of the topics we wanted to cover was kind of talking about a history of, quote, trash, end quote, writers that are now in the lovely white Western literary canon, right? Charles Dickens wrote um, supposedly either by the word or by the page, but he wrote essentially to make bank. Louisa May Alcott started off writing short stories and quote-unquote chiclet stories for magazines. She wrote bodice rippers. She wrote overt just romance stories before she ever wrote Little Women, which is now a classic and has been turned into movies. Mark Twain, uh, when Huckleberry Finn first came out, that book was banned by libraries across the United States and a library in Concord, Massachusetts like just called it straight up trash. They called it trash that shouldn't be read by anyone. I'm paraphrasing, but the word trash was definitely in there. And I think, Maxine, weren't you saying that Shakespeare was considered trash? Yes, Shakespeare was trash because he was like writing for the masses. And so people used to actually like, they wouldn't get like books or like playbooks of what he would write. They would like pass around his like plays on like little sheets in like newspapers or magazines. It was 
made for like the everyday man. So even his plays, loads of like the actors weren't very good. They were just kind of yelling to the back of the of the theater. Like it wasn't really made for studying. And the only reason why it became like part of the literary canon is because it was the users like the the average language of like the English language like this is what the everyday man would be saying it was then used as a colonial tool to then take around the world and then that's why it has the power and the influence that it has rather than like it actually being taken seriously back in the day because he wasn't taken seriously back in the day it was just like a kind of like trashy thing that people used to read in like like in pages like it was like mass produced for anybody to read so that's my favorite thing about Shakespeare is that everyone thinks he was this amazing person back in the day but actually nobody really (laughs) took it that seriously (laughs) yeah like who was considered amazing back in the day like the literary stars of his day I think it was like Ben Johnson Marlowe Christopher Marlowe and like I don't know let me google it really quick We've got Thomas Middleton, John Webster, Thomas Decker. Like, I've never heard of those three guys. So what was trash back then is now like, you know, God, right? So it'll be interesting to see in 100 or 200 years how many, you know, National Book Award or Pulitzer or Booker Prize winners are going to be remembered versus, you know, the big best-selling writers, right? Like, who knows? Maybe Stephen King is going to be the next Shakespeare. Maybe Kevin Kwan or maybe, I don't know, uh, anyone that we're now considering trash is going to be what's going to be studied in classrooms. I vote for Nora Roberts. That's my girl. Ooh. I vote for the person who wrote the Mary Kate and Ashley series. Um, <laughs> because that captured a generation of girls in no, like no one else could capture a generation of girls like um, Mary Kay and Ashley. So that's my vote. And I, if I ever become an English teacher, I will be teaching that on my syllabus. <laughs> oh, if we're doing that, then I vote for the Babysitters Club because that changed my life. Oh, that's such a good vote. I'm going to have to vote along with you for Babysitters Club. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Shakespeare Who podcast. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Let's talk about good trash. Going to keep calling it trash because it's fun to say. Um, But yeah, we'd love to hear from you, Sarah, just kind of recent good trash you've read this year and what you loved about it. So I personally think that everything that I'm going to have read probably is good trash because I have no problem with, you know, on Bookstagram, we call it DNF. I did not finish a book. Um, so, um, gosh, a lot of things I'm hesitant to call trash because I love them so much. Okay. Let's not call it trash. Let's call it, let's call it commercial guilty pleasures that we are made to feel is somehow less literarily valid. Thank you for um, for making me feel better. Okay, so I think that I re- I read Sex and Vanity. I absolutely loved it. Um, like I said a few minutes ago, I think that Kevin Kwan makes um, so many great points about not just culture but race and how it affects your view of yourself. I thought that you know that was a really great book. Um, I have been reading. I love Jasmine Guillory again she cannot even be looked at as trash because she, I think she is somebody that is doing something amazing for the romance genre, which is, you know, writing 
diverse characters writing relationships that are real. Um, her most recent book, Party of Two, has you know um, a black the black female lead and a white man, but they are you know it's an older couple, which is something you rarely see. It's always a twenty two year old girl, and then you know they there's a lot of talk about they're, you know, going to, they're very honest in the conversations. They talk a lot about race, their careers. Um, so I think that like having that in romance novels is something you never would have seen 10 years ago. And I think that she is doing something for the genre that we don't often see. Um, oh, I read Open Book, which is Jessica Simpson's um, memoir, which <gasps> I'm not a Jessica Simpson <laughs> I'm not a Jessica Simpson fan, but I was hearing a lot of good things about her memoir. And it was just, you know, not necessarily salacious, but she's very honest and, you know, real and tells a great story. So I think that that was one of my favorite audiobooks of quarantine. That is amazing. I I feel the same way. I, I actually have that book teed up to read at some point, um, just because I want to read all the John Mayer tea. You're not going to like it. He's evil. I think recent good trash I've read, just finished Sex and Vanity. I really loved how that book, it's again, marketed as a, as a beach book, marketed as chiclet. It's got a pink cover and a lady swimming in a pool on the cover, but it's actually about identity for anyone who is part of any diaspora and has one foot half in one world and the other half in another world, how you negotiate between those two identities. And that's what the the protagonist in the book is going through. And he is never lectury or aphoristic about it. You know, he just lets the story kind of mine these, these issues of identity on its own. So that was amazing to read. I really loved Lauren Ho's Last Tang Standing uh, because it's it was just hilarious. Lauren Ho is like the fabulous corporate lawyer friend. We all have one who you love getting a glass of wine with because she's hysterical and she'll pay for everything. So that was the voice of her protagonist in this book. And it's at its core also a romance novel and the two leads, it's a woman who is Malaysian descent and her love interest is of Indian descent, which I absolutely loved. Out of all the romance novels I've ever read, I've never gotten to imagine a sexy brown Indian man. And now I was getting to do that through this book. So that was just a really fun experience for me. Those are like my two kind of new recommendations and then, yeah, the Crazy Rich Asians trilogy, which is so much deeper than the movie gave it credit for. Like, I think the movie took out all of the consequences of colonization that were mined by Kevin Kwan, particularly in the very first book. I love all of those books. Those are like my recommendations. What about you, Maxine? So I've been reading Convenience Store Woman. Um, like I said earlier, it is so good. It's so weird. I love a good weird book. Um... <laughs> and it's about this woman who is on a spectrum of some, like she's just kind of strange in a way, but then she finds her purpose by working in a convenience store. And it's by a Japanese author called Sayaka Murata. And it's just really good. The sad thing is, because it's by an Asian writer, it is marketed in, you know, like the classic bright color. And then there's like a bottle of soy sauce on the cover. But if you ignore that, it's really good. Um, I know, I know, I know. Books I don't recommend, even though 
like 12 year old me loved it twilight um i know that we were talking about it earlier about how it's so problematic but there's something about it that when you read it if you read it at, or if you watch the movies or read the book as a comedy it is excellent it is so bad and should be thrown in the bin and i don't understand why we all loved it because when we think about it really like he's like a hundred and something what 109 years old and she's 16 so like he's, Ew. Yeah. he's like a deathless pedophile yes and he like he's like you're my own personal brand of heroin and like he's he's like really obsessed with her and protecting her and he didn't have any purpose before meeting her and it's just all this weird stuff and I just find it very strange because he's just lived his entire life like over and over as a high school student which I find very strange um but like if you read it as like your like favorite sort of trashy nonsense, you know it's going to be bad. Then I guess when you if you go into it with no expectations, it's fantastic. But if you go into it thinking it's going to be a great book, it's terrible. And it, it does teach really, really bad things to women. And they have I think she's released Midnight Sun which is like from his pers- Twilight from his perspective, which I have no desire in reading because he is an 109-year-old man who's in love with a 16-year-old girl. But because he's young and in the movies, he looks like Robin Pattinson, everything is okay, but it's it's very unacceptable to me. So those are the two books that I... Well, Convenience for Woman is a yes, Twilight is a no. Um, and we should just ask publishers to stop putting weird things like soy sauce on the cover of Asian people's books. I don't know, maybe. I think we can all confidently say that Fifty Shades is just bad. It's just badly written. I think I read a pair of books recently, and I think, Sarah, you might disagree. Um, I don't know how I feel about the American Royals books. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. I agree with Fifty Shades of Grey that I was going to say Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight are the books that I think belong just deep, deep down in the garbage. I could go on forever hours about how much I hate Twilight and how problematic I think it is um, and the bad things I think that it teaches young women. But I won't. You asked about the American Royals. Um, So American Royals, I think, is just... I don't think that it's bad trash. I think that it's a fun, light read. I like that she... um, Obviously, you know, I like the fact that there's... It's, you know, focused on having a queen, the first queen, and not about... and. I don't know if you've read the series, but um, there are a lot of potential male voices in the in the story. But she doesn't have any POV chapters mm-hmm. from any men. All of the POV chapters are from women, which I think is a very interesting choice to make. And so you only hear from I think it's Beatrice, which is who is the main character who becomes queen, and then her sister their best friend, and then kind of the one that plays the enemy character. And then so it's just from those four women. I really like Royals fiction. So that is one thing that you have to know that is just like my guilty pleasure. I love all Royals fiction. I like what she did. And I think that Catherine McGee did a, she did a pretty good job, I think, uh, with this world that she created. I think the books are good for exactly all of those reasons that you said. I really like how Catherine McGee sort of elevated the female perspective. Probably a lot of what I didn't like about it just comes from, listen, I'm in, I'm currently doing a creative writing master's. We're being taught to basically overanalyze everything. So I'm probably overanalyzing it. And it segues really nicely into like, how much are we supposed to expect from 
genre fiction, from commercial genre fiction, right? Like, am I putting too much of an expectation on these books? So I guess when I'm thinking about it, I think the fact that the cover is styled very closely to the Crazy Rich Asians book, but then has minority characters only as like side characters. Like I think the Duke of Orange comes in as a romance interest in the second book. And it's like, yay, a black character. One, we've got one. And then the Latina character just felt very much like a token character. And then, of course, her parents were lesbians because that's, I feel like that tends to happen a lot of times. You have a minority character and then all of these sort of otherisms are piled on top of them. Like I was expecting her to have a disabled, you know, sibling, but, you know, <laughs> but they, but she didn't. So yeah, that's good. And then, you know, there is one Asian character and it just felt very tokenistic. Um, But then again, I'm like, am I expecting too much? Should I just enjoy the story and enjoy the positive things about it? Like the very feminist sort of focus on it. Um, But then again, when I look at the feminist focus, I felt like it was just focused so much on who Beatrice was supposed to date and marry and not enough on like, you know, how to lead and how to be powerful. And uh, that was just sort of covered as a sort of second subject. But the main concern was was her romance. But then I'm like, well, yeah, that's important too. I don't know. It's a lot of just me second guessing my feelings about it. I'm going to say I liked it. And anything I didn't like about it was probably just because I, I, I'm just overanalyzing or expecting too much. No, I think that you brought up a lot of good points. I think that the romance versus her position as queen and how that's affecting, you know, that being the main point of the story, I think that there was a lot of push and pull in the second novel. And I think, sorry, oh, I sh- we should say major spoilers. Sorry, everybody, if you haven't read it. I think that she did an interesting job. I don't want to say good or bad because there was a lot to do with the romance. But then I think that you're right. A lot of times it would just be like a scene where Beatrice has to do some work and then we wouldn't talk about it. But then I I guess for me, it didn't seem that much pressure side because a lot of her conversations, even within the romances, were about her worries and her fears about how she was going to take on this new role and whether she could live up to the expectations. So I think that she did do a good job of weaving it in, even when it wasn't necessarily what that scene was about. In terms of the race and the tokenism, I think that's so funny. I think that a lot of books these days do do that. I think I'm seeing that a lot in new fiction when you're you you see people wanting to get all the otherisms and not wanting to offend anybody so you're right there is like this character is blind and also uh latinx and also you know busting from another neighborhood and hitting every (laughs) you know the economic the disabled the racial every category i think in this particular story it didn't bother me as much because the main set of characters that are white are related to each other. I'm talking myself in and out of it at the same time, because for me, I'm focused, you know, there's, there's the family and then there's the other characters and of, I'm discounting the the trio, unless we want to say that the Royals should have been of a different race or something like that. I'm discounting them and looking at all the secondary characters and all the secondary characters. I think that besides making the best friends character, the family have a lesbian mom and also be Latinx. She, I think that she did a relatively okay job. 
I'm expecting too much. It's a fun book. It was fun to read despite any misgivings I might have or any expectations that I put on it. It was a fun read. How much should we expect from trashy novels anyway, besides, you know, escape and a bit of fun? Like, is it fair to expect anything from these books? Is it fair to take a more historical view and kind of look at how these books will age? Does that even matter? Shouldn't some books just be for fun? I agree. I think that some books should absolutely just be for fun. I don't think that you should be made to feel guilty for reading something unless it's Twilight because Twilight is terrible. But um, (laughs) (laughs) there are some books that I was taught to think are great that I think are trash. Like I personally never liked The Great Gatsby. Um, Don't tell me it's great because I won't agree. But I think it's just about a creepy guy who wants to throw a party to convince a girl to like him. And we are taught... Lolita. (laughs) I agree. And books like that were taught to think are great because they're written at a certain time by certain people, aka men, and they're really just trash. And that's fine if we had been taught that they were like not these great books of the literary canon. But I think that I shouldn't feel bad for wanting to read The Kiss Quotient because that's a great book. It's sure it's a romance, but the protagonist and the author are doing great things for people on the autism spectrum. And why is that, you know, less than other books? I completely agree. I hated The Great Gatsby because I was like, this is really creepy and she should have the right to say no. Like, I don't understand why he should feel Mm. entitled to her just because he's throwing these great grand parties because he was in love with her. It's just really weird. I think anything by Bukowski should be thrown in the bin. I know this is an unpopular opinion but I didn't like Little Women Whoa! I know I know but I just didn't find it as universal as everybody thought like I think the cultural and social expectations for me as a Ugandan woman are very different from the cultural and social expectations of like the women and little women. And so when I read it thinking that it's supposed Mm -hmm, to be relatable mm -hmm, to me mm -hmm. and then it's not, I'm like, well, then why did you teach me that it was supposed to be relatable to me? Because now you lied and now I'm angry. So (laughs) like for me, like I find it quite trash because I just feel like it's like reading like a period version of Gilmore Girls. Do you think that you would like little women or books like it more if it wasn't taught or talked about as something that should feel relatable, but just something that was a nice story about four sisters. Yes, I think I would. If I was taught that books that are literary canon right now were just like, oh, this is just a very nice book that you will enjoy, then I would enjoy them way more than just expecting it to be this amazing book that everybody should be relating to. And actually, I feel quite alienated by. I don't know. What do you think? I agree with that statement. I personally loved Little Women, but I I think that's also just a matter of how I was raised and how I was frankly colonized from a very early age, right? Like the Philippines, the entire uh, curriculum and everything was set up by the Americans because when we were a Spanish colony for over 300 years, the Spanish didn't want us speaking Spanish. Like if you were allowed to read and learn, that meant that you met the caste expectations because we had a caste system. If you didn't meet the caste expectations, expectations, you didn't get to be literate. Then the Americans came in after we were handed over by the Spanish and the entire curriculum was American. And to an extent, anything English literature was English. So yeah, I just kind of accepted Little Women as, oh, this is something like really good. And you know what? It is a good book. I did enjoy reading it, but I never questioned it. Um, (laughs) So... Overcoming trash snobbery. Like, how do we get over this, like what Sarah talked about earlier, 
this sense of embarrassment or shame about reading commercial books um, or romance novels or like certain types of genre fiction? I think for me, I'm, it's something that I'm still struggling with. And I think weirdly enough, um, joining the quote unquote bookstagram community has actually some, in some way made me feel more self-conscious because I do feel like there's kind of a division of people that post or maybe only share the like, you know, more literary fiction that they read. And that seems to be all that they read. And so then there's people that really are only reading popular fiction or super light reads, people whose accounts are only thrillers, people who are only romance. And I think that I personally fall somewhere in the middle because similar to what you said earlier, Jill, when things are tough, as they have been over the past six months, I depend on a lighter read. I don't turn towards the more literary fiction that I have on my shelf. So I think that there's been a lot more of that type of book that I've been posting, but I do also adore reading a book that is going to teach you something, a book that's a little bit heavier. And so I think that I tend to fall somewhere in between, but that often leaves me feeling more like, ooh, I'm kind of embarrassed I'm because I share everything that I read. I sometimes feel like, oh, I'm sharing that I read three romance novels in the past week. And so sometimes it feels a little bit embarrassing, but at the same time, it's I'm trying to get over it and be like, look, that's what it is. <laughs> Next week, I'm going to read Transcendent Kingdom, which I'm really excited about reading, one of my most anticipated releases. But, you know, this week I'm reading You Had Me at Ola. That looks so good. So I think that that is also what I'm trying to get across is it looks so good and it was good. And the author did great things for representation and not in a way that like we were talking about with some other books that felt tokenized. There's a lot of great Latinx characters that feel real, that feel authentic. There's great talk about, you know, what it means like to be part of that diaspora. And I think that she did a really wonderful job, but yeah, the book has a ton of sex in it. So it's kind of like, you know, take it for what it is. I try to just read whatever I want to read and then just go from there. I was lucky enough that like my parents didn't really raise me to uphold colonial standards of good books as good. So I've always just been like very critical about what I read anyway. So I'm just kind of like, well, I don't want to read, you know, some boring book by some boring white man about some boring thing <laughs> where like, it's like supposed to be like this literary amazing thing, but it's just a boring white man being boring. I feel like we're growing into a time now where people are more open about what they're reading and people are, you know, letting their guards down about like reading romance and things because actually romance is one of the more lucrative businesses as a writer and in publishing so I don't look down on it for a second because I think you know you may think oh well it's not a feminist way of thinking and blah 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 but it's one of the surefire ways for female writers to get published a get big advances b and get good royalties and have a community of people that back them and you don't really see that in the literary world because women and people of color are held to such a high standard that they have to write the most amazing book in order to be published in a literary space. Whereas like white people don't have to have that sort of great 
like expectation put on them. And so I find that a lot of white literary writers tend to be more of the trash that I think is trash rather than like the trash that people conventionally think is trash. In terms of overcoming that whole like snobbery, I think just like get over yourself and read something that you actually want to read and not something that you think people are going to judge you if you don't read. I don't want to read To Kill a Mockingbird, you know, I don't want to read those books because I just don't find them entertaining. I don't find them compelling and I don't feel like a burning desire to read, you know, white people and their lens of how they saw the world because there's a lot of like censorship of like black people. So I'm like, do I really want to read books like that, that are supposed to be these amazing literary works that are turned into films that also further block black people and people of color and women of color out of the narrative? Or do I want to read like a good Crazy Rich Asians or like a good like Sex and Vanity? Like, I prefer to read that. I just think ultimately you read what you want to read and people of color should be reading exactly what they want that represents them well and that entertains them well. So what are your thoughts on kind of genre fiction and the commercial industry and like what it's becoming versus what it's been? And like, how do you think it's evolving? Especially if we look at it through the lens of diversity. I feel like in a lot of ways, it's one step forward, two steps back. I think that I see a lot of authors and a lot of books getting recognition, you know, the long list for the National Book Awards here in the States just came out yesterday. And there's a lot of great books that are out there that wouldn't necessarily, I don't think, have gotten the level of attention that they are getting now, especially, I think, after the United States has kind of been opening its eyes more to Black Lives Matter's um, issues with people of color in the last few months. So I think that that is also opening the door for more diversity in writing and more diversity in publishing. Hopefully, a lot of publishers are working to make those changes to get not only books written by more authors of color, but hopefully more editors of color will cause that shift that we're looking for. Because a lot of books that you read have, an even and even books I think that are written by white authors have an opportunity to be great, but they don't have the knowledge that they do of the world that they should. And they weren't edited by somebody who should have, you know, had some tough conversations with them about what you should leave in your book and what you shouldn't leave in and what's okay to write and what's not okay to write. And I think that with Bookstagram, people are being held to a higher standard because now there's a whole just, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people who are just, you know, really driving the conversation before things get onto the shelf. You can tell when it is an author of color in a commercial space and they have the same editor, a white author would have. A white editor and a white marketing team don't necessarily think outside of like the white commercial space. And I think that a lot of commercial books fall flat because they don't have a team that actually believe that black and brown authors have commercial potential. So they end up like under marketing it or like, you know, throwing very little budget towards it, throwing very little editorial work towards it because they don't think that it's going to sell in like a Sainsbury's or an Asda or Walmart or Target. There we go. The supermarket like level of like commercial books. They don't think that black people or brown people shop there. 
So then they only think about how to market it to booksellers and to buyers that will market it well for their white consumers. And so in terms of like the industry, I think that it's not the book that falls flat. It's not the author that falls flat. It's the it's the industry that doesn't actually accommodate good stories I admire the people who can just write like a really good story and really hook you in without having to say any fancy words. And you can tell when things are like, you know, need a little bit of editorial work. And I feel like because it's just kind of like, well, it's it's a product. So we're just turning out like more products and we just want to make budget and we just want to do all those kind of things. You lose like the beauty of like a good book. And so like the reviewers and people will say bad things about your book and then you'll be like, oh, well, this author of color underperformed because all the reviewers thought this is that and the other. They didn't reach out to any reviewers of color. They didn't reach out to any marketers or freelance editors that could have actually given more nuance to like the editorial process. And so it ends up like underperforming and so they don't buy more commercial black or brown books. So I think it's, it's it's less the responsibility of the writer and more the responsibility of the people handling the product because at the end of the day they're the ones that shape it and place it in the market um and when they misplace it in the market that's when like it all goes to hell and then we end up expecting more from a book that actually could have been more and didn't have the chance to have more because there are no editors or marketers or PR staff who actually know how to engage with a book with international based or like diverse audience This is where it's actually really quite nice that Bookstagram world is beginning to have just a really good sort of democratizing influence on the industry, right? Sarah, it would be so nice to hear a little bit more about your new project. I think you've just begun a new readers community. Groups like yours have such a strong potential to help really influence fiction in general going forward. So could you tell us a little bit more about that? I wanted to really just create a community and have a way that I can engage. So I uh, started a book club, bringing the community together every month. I'm also, you know, doing a newsletter. I want my reviews to live there and people are interested in engaging with that content. I wanted to do more personalized content. So I think that that is also great. You know, there's less people on a Patreon page. So I feel like it's easier for me to give the people that want to be in that community exactly what they want, personalized, detailed recommendations if they so want it. I have my master's in social work. And so I'm really trying to do a once a week type of thing where I share something that I'm billing it as a wellness Wednesday, but it's really just information that I can share as a post that I think that will help people in some aspect of their life, whether it's relationship building, communication, obviously, yes, I will do self-care, but you know, something that I feel like that I can share some stuff that I learned through my education. And I love the kind of the way you're rolling in the the Wellness Wednesday in there, because really at its core, reading and even writing is about the self, right? Like when you're reading, you're in your own little bubble and you're absorbing something else into yourself. And the same thing with writing, you're, you're expressing something outside of your own body. And it's... I think it's actually a really nice way to contextualize the act of reading is that it's something that is a part of your everyday life and it is a form of of taking care of yourself, of staying well. One last note to close on, I guess we just want to take a quick writer view on all of this. Um, what can we learn as writers from trash, quote, trash, end quote, books? And Maxine, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. 
I think like, especially coming from like, if you compare it to like a Kevin Kwan or like, or like a uh, banana Yoshimoto, like somebody who is writing something that's commercial, but still really well written. I think we can learn so much from commercial books in that it's just, you know, it's you writing what you think is a compelling, good story, well-written, has teeth and gets the job done. It maybe it has elements of you in it. It has elements of the way that you see the world. It's how you tell a story and there's nothing wrong with that. I think when you overshoot and try to sound smarter or try to what you think sounds smarter, then you end up like writing something that is actually legit trash. Whereas things that we consider trash just because they're not as fancy may turn out to be like the better book that everybody enjoys. And that, you know, start off as like a Mark Twain that's banned from libraries, but then maybe from years to come, people are, you know, studying your books in school. But yeah, write what you know, write from a place that is true to you. And also commercial books sell better, so you get better advances. So there's that. There's a lot of commercial books that we have this year that are being turned into movies. You know, that's where the money is. So I don't I don't think there's any shame in that because it's hard to sustain your life as a writer. And I wanted to second that not as a writer, but as a reader that like the books that really hold a place for me are the books that feel real. Like a lot of people are like, I want like, you know, you might try to write something that is like you know, going to be held and talked about in schools for the next five decades. And it's just that I personally don't want to, I'm not looking on the shelf for the thing that's going to change my life. And sometimes it's the thing that just seems like a fun book that does change your life. That is, that might be billed as light fiction, but is actually something that is beautiful and life-changing. I keep coming back to Queenie, but that book is, you know, they talk about it as if it's light women's fiction, but I think she did something really special. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. It was just really great to finally chat to you as opposed to just DMing endlessly. Thank you both so much for having me. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Shakespeare Who podcast. Join us next time for more chat on making our own canon. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. This episode is produced and edited by Jill Damatak-Futter and Maxine Sibuana.